And I just kind of made a pact with myself that clearly my body's going to do and this cancer is going to do whatever it wants. So mentally, I have to be able to do what I want. And I really started to set these non-negotiables with myself in terms of making sure that whatever I could control, I was getting done on a daily basis. And it's really, it's helped. I've been in a lot of bad places because my medicine hasn't worked or my medicine stops working or the hormonal changes take over. Right. I kind of spiral out of control. Being able to always go back to these two or three things has very much helped me stay present. What are those two or three things? Is, is that just something like a mantra or like an affirmation? So I actually call them my four G's, grind, grit, grace, and gratitude. Oh, I'm so glad I asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Fasami believes developing the mental and emotional part of a player's game is just as important as the physical. This holistic training approach not only stems from years of professional play, including his time with the Colorado Rockies, but it also comes from several experiences that have tested him. Thyroid cancer, for one, diagnosed in 2017. And when that happened, Chris says he decided to take control of his life and career by training to become the best version of himself on and off the field. Well, he's got 15 years now under his belt running Vasami Training Inc., now based in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's coached dozens of kids into the college level so far, and he's growing his client reach through new innovative programs. It's all part of our conversation in this bucket list careers. Thanks for joining. Let's listen now. Chris, thanks for joining me on Bucket List Careers. It's good to see you. Good to see you. No, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to catch up with you. When did you actually go down to Charlotte from Maranek, New York, my neck of the woods? So we came down here about eight years ago. In the meantime, Charlotte was not built up for me. So I was actually flying back and forth from Charlotte to New York for about six years on a weekly basis. And that's when I was actually working with Colin. Has it been six years? I mean, Colin's obviously listening to this episode. He's very excited to, <laughs> to hear from you. You trained a lot of kids in our area. You've been in the back of my mind when I launched this podcast. I'm like, he's a perfect fit for what we're doing on this show. You obviously have a very cool dream kind of gig where you were a professional baseball player and you made a pivot early on in your career. So we want to talk about, you know, the choices, what went on, what was your mindset, but let's like dial it back to the beginning because you told me that you started playing ball in the backyard with your brother when you were like five, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think your parents like knew at that point that you would one day be drafted for the Colorado Rockies? Like, did they have any clue? I'm not sure if they did at that point, maybe a little bit later in Little League, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten-ish. Right. But I do. I mean, I really did grow up playing in the backyard with my brother who's six and a half years older than me playing against him and all his friends. And there would be times where I'm seven years old playing against 13-year-olds and I would lose in the bottom of the last inning on a walk-off hit and I would come in furious. And my mom would, would literally look at me and go, hey, you're going to be okay. Because <laughs> I didn't realize you know, at the time how big of a different age gap it was. And I really do think that right. those moments growing up with him and, and, and my younger brother as well really did nurture my competitive spirit. and. I still have that same competitive nature as we sit here and speak. I'm sure. Walk us through a bit of your baseball resume and your experiences for us. So I was a All-American in high school. I'm a Marinick High School. Out of high school, I took a scholarship offer to Notre Dame. Played there for a year. Coach and I didn't really agree on my future after my first year. 
I went there to be a hitter and a pitcher after the first year. After one at bat, he told me I was a terrible hitter and I would never hit in college. Really? When somebody tells you you're not good at something, you want more than one chance to prove that you're not good at it. So in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted to be a hitter and I knew I had the ability to do it. So I transferred down to Elon University in North Carolina, was an all-conference player and got drafted out of college by the Colorado Rockies. And luckily between Colorado and some independent ball, I was able to play for about six years. Amazing. Amazing. So what changed for you? Did you have an injury that ended that time frame for you? No, it really was the business of baseball. Yeah. People get drafted in certain rounds and they get a certain signing bonus. And it's just like anything else at that point where it's a business and it's an investment and somebody has to answer for that investment. And it really just gets to the business at that point where production really doesn't mean anything. Right. And so I was released just because there were people who got more money than me and my time was up. Sure. But you pretty much immediately started training and giving lessons like right out of the gate after you transitioned out of pro ball. So let's talk about that. Were you 20 or something when you started Vasami training? I was 20. I was actually in college when I started training kids. I didn't exactly formally start Vasami training, but my sophomore year of college, 2005, last game of the year, I was playing first base. Mm -hmm. Pitcher threw a bad throw. I caught the ball and the runner ran into my shoulder at the same time. I ended up blowing out mm. my shoulder and I ended up needing, needing surgery that summer. And the thing about college baseball is that it runs pretty late. So this was already first week of June by the time I got home. So my yeah. mom was like, look, you need to get a job. You, you know, you don't have surgery for six or seven weeks. And by that time, all the internships are, are already underway. So I went to the computer, got some good old fashioned clip art, made a flyer, put it up around Marinick and Larchmont and Luckily, got a few phone calls, and that's how Basami Training started. I love that. And here we are 15 years later. Yeah. When I look at your statistics, you coached about 32 players to the college level. That's, that's pretty awesome. What do you think, if you were to boil it down, is working for you? First and foremost, communication. I really do believe that whoever is in front of me, that's who I'm supposed to communicate with. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of teachers coaches, trainers out there that they only know how to teach their way one way. Mm -hmm. And as the player, person, trainee, if you are not able to understand what they're trying to say, things kind of get lost in the shuffle where I kind of, I look at it the opposite way. If I have 10 kids in front of me and all 10 kids learn differently, it's up to me to find out how do they learn? How do they process? You know, how do they make their mind body connection so that we can progress together. Would you only work with small groups? Do you feel like that makes a difference? I mean, how do you really make those connections? Obviously, you deem them really valuable. For me, it's one-on-one because that's where you're able to really get to know the person that you're training and the person that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. When I first meet a player for the first time, I tell them, first and foremost, you have enough coaches. I want you to think of me as a teacher. You're a student. Because there are so many times when, as a player, and we're in that group setting, in that team setting, and we look at our coach, and our coach says something. A lot of times, it's my way or the highway type things. Right. And so a coach says something or tells you to do something, and in the back of your mind, you're going, wait, that doesn't seem right. But if you were to raise your hand and say, coach, that doesn't make any sense. Can you please explain it? You would be deemed uncoachable. Right. And so what I want them to understand that when we're together is I want them to trust that I don't take anything personal. If I ask you to do something and you look at me and go, that doesn't make sense. Okay, it's my turn to 
to explain it so that it does make sense. Because at the end of the day, any player who I train, they're going to be in that batter's box alone on their own. So if they don't know what they're trying to accomplish, they're the ones that are going to look bad at the end of the day. And so I want them to be able to help them work through that. Yeah, of course. Do you ever have like personality conflicts where you actually say this isn't working? Like this isn't going to work for either of us? Yeah. So when I first started training kids, I was very opposite to who I am now because I was in the middle of my career. I was about to get drafted. I had just gotten drafted. So I assumed that anybody who wanted lessons wanted it as bad as I did. And so my expectations were way too high. Yeah. And that leads to a lot of frustration. So I am actually 360 degrees the opposite way. I have no expectations when I first meet somebody. I wait to be pleasantly surprised. And I think that because they realize that I've already had my career and I'm not living vicariously through them, I just want them to have the same joy that I had. Mm -hmm. It helps them relax and kind of understands the relationship from a good start. Like what would you say, what really lights you up about what you do? Seeing it click, Mm -hmm. watching that moment where a kid you know, a player, an athlete has tried something 30, 40, 50, 60 times, and then it finally clicks. Totally. And once it clicks, that's the beauty of it. We really don't go back. You know, once we've learned it, you know, I can't unlearn what two plus two means anymore once I get it. True. It might have taken me a hundred times to understand it, but for the rest of my life, it's there. So that's the goal is that finding that mind-body connection, seeing what makes it click. And, and that's what I enjoy about the process is, it's all the same movement pretty much. Yeah. But how we make that connection with the movement, that's where the individual piece comes in. That's interesting. One of the things that you felt has helped you a lot was when you started working with a behavioral psychologist. I'll bet a lot of trainers don't do that. How did you get that idea and what has it done for you? The idea came to me when I saw myself getting frustrated a lot and I saw me having roadblocks in the way that I was working with players. And so I seeked out a behavioral psychologist to really understand, you know, if I'm going to do this and this is going to be my career, I have to make this work. And I have to find every way and every channel possible to make those connections and, and find that communication. So I started working with him and he really started to help me understand how we learn, how we process at a young age, adolescent, young adolescent, young adult, and we're, we're constantly changing. So the way that we're going to interpret things is going to change. And also understanding birth order, social anxiety, learning disorders, all these things come into play. Then you add on top of that, you start working with the, the teenagers, mm-hmm. all the hormonal changes that are going on, boyfriend, girlfriend situations, all these things, everything that's happening outside the cage is a factor when they come into the cage for those 30 or 45 or 60 minutes. That's actually amazing. I'm not sure that many people realize what goes into being a trainer at your level and that mental, emotional part of the game that you're trying to help them strengthen. And you feel that that's a really important part of crafting, I guess, a recruitable baseball player. Absolutely, because when we are on the field, we have to understand that we have fallen in love with the failing sport. Baseball and softball are the failing sports. Wait, explain that to me. I mean, I I think I know where you're going with that, but... So in baseball, you are going to get out more than you get a hit, more than you get on base. That's a fact. It's for 190 years, it's been the same way. 
Nobody's going to change that. As we are younger, when we are playing six, seven years old, eight years old even, it's very black and white. Did I get on base? Did I not get on base? Did I hit the ball? Did I swing and miss? As you start to get older and you start to go up in the game and the game becomes very gray in that just because you hit the ball doesn't mean you automatically get on base. So now we have to look at the process and the results in terms of if my job is to go up there and get a good pitch to hit and hit the ball as hard as I can, that's how I have to base my progress. Not hit it hard, not did I get on base, not did I not swing and miss. So there are so many channels that we have to start talking about and that we have to get into because if we are an emotional player, which is great, but the emotion has to stay within a certain range because we don't have the time to let our emotions come back to center. So we have to kind of stay within this certain range. That way, every pitch, I'm ready to go. If I make a mistake, how quickly can I make an adjustment? If I do great, knowing that that has no bearing on my next at bat. So there's tons of stuff that we can talk about that stems from that mental and emotional place. Absolutely. And of course, I'm talking on a little league level or like, you know, 14 U travel is my world right now. But I see it. I see how the spotlight affects Colin at the plate or and he's actually been pitching a little bit. And there's so much pressure handling that. And I can only imagine how it multiplies as scouts are coming to look at you. Right. I think that's a really important part to be strengthening in a player. Let's talk about another thing that changed things for you personally. You were diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2017. I know you're public about it. You're comfortable discussing it. It's on your website. In fact, I I wrote something down that you have there. You say when you were diagnosed, you decided to take control of your life and career by training to become the best version of yourself on and off the field. So what does that mean to you? And what has it been like for you since that point? Thyroid cancer is a very hormonally based cancer. Your thyroid does so many things that we just all take for granted until we have a thyroid problem. Mm -hmm. It controls our metabolic rate. It controls our core temperature. It controls our cortisol levels, just to name a few. A perfect working thyroid is on a number scale is between zero and four. So most people go into the doctor, they get their their thyroid stimulating hormone, their TSH tested, and it comes back zero, one, two, three, four, all good homeostasis. Because I had thyroid cancer, I had my thyroid taken out. And from the moment my thyroid got taken out, now I'm dependent upon two, three, four medicines for the rest of my life yeah. to basically work. And when they don't work, I don't work. And so what happened is for the first probably year and a half of my diagnosis, I'm always, I admit I was the, the token victim, poster child for victim, walking around, feeling sorry for myself. Why me? How could this happen? I'm 31 years old. Yeah. You see people who clearly look unhealthy and you're wondering, why me, not them? I take care of myself. I thought I, you know, all these things go through your head. But a lot of those thoughts are natural reactions. And so after my second surgery, I remember sitting in the hospital in bed again a year after I had already just gone through this. And I just kind of made a pact with myself that clearly my body's going to do and this cancer is going to do whatever it wants. So mentally, I have to be able to do what I want. I really started to set these non-negotiables with myself in terms of making sure that whatever I could control, I was getting done on a daily basis, six, seven days a week. And it's really, it's helped because I've been in a lot of bad places because my medicine hasn't worked or my medicine stops working or the hormonal changes take over. Right. And I kind of spiral out of control 
And so being able to always go back to these two or three things has very much helped me stay present. What are those two or three things? Is, is that just something like a mantra or like an affirmation? So I actually call them my four G's, grind, grit, grace, and gratitude. Oh, I'm so glad I asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> my life, unfortunately, because I'm just going to be sick for the rest of my life. That's just the way it is with this chronic thyroid disease. And who knows if the cancer will go away, but every day is a grind. So I have to embrace the grind, not be victim to the grind. Grit, there are just some days where I don't feel good at all. And the only way I can get through the day is just by pushing through and, and finding something that's going to be inspiring for the day. Luckily for me, you know, in the last two and a half years, I now have two daughters. So they're, it's very helpful. Oh, they are. I have to stop you there and say <laughs> they are the cutest babies on social media right now. But. Thank you. I mean, they're not really babies. and They're they're both toddlers, right? Yeah, Hell? two and one. So cute. So cute, those girls. So they help. And and I do believe in grit, you know, and if, it, and if grit wasn't a real thing, there wouldn't be books written about it. And there are just times where yeah. you just want it more than somebody else or you want it more than the person where you were yesterday. Grace is the fact that God has given me a lot of grace to be able to still still be here and still be able to function. You know, there are a lot of people who hear that they have cancer and then the next statement out of the doctor's mouth is but i'm sorry there's nothing we can do so right that's kind of my god's giving me grace so i try to show the same grace to to people on a daily basis and gratitude is just the fact that i'm able to wake up every day you know when you when you fight for your life there are so many things that you can take for granted but being present and practicing gratitude every day has been super helpful that perspective is everything well You've already somewhat answered my question, and I ask this of all the guests. What do you think your story, your experiences has taught you about finding professional purpose, right? So bucket list careers. And it's interesting how some people have achieved it early on. You have an interesting sort of two-prong career where you were in a different world as a professional baseball player, and then you are now helping to create the next generation of them. But something Bucket List Careers listeners can take away from your journey. You have to have a growth mindset. You have to wake up every day being confident and, and having conviction that you know what you're doing because you are passionate about it, but humble enough to know that there's still so much to learn. And there is no continuing education for my career. And even though I have had a lot of success, I still feel like there's so much to learn, whether it's even if it's just taking the same thing, but saying it a different way. And so every quarter, I, I really do self-impose some continuing education, whether it be reading the book I wanted to read, listening to the podcast, listening to the, the TED Talk, whatever it may be. And just understanding that by having the growth mindset and continuing to work, who knows who I'll be able to touch and who knows who I'll be able to be open to working with because I haven't closed any doors. I love that. I know Bucket List Careers is among your favorites, but what <laughs> podcasts, what is your favorite right now? Just curious. I always find myself going back to Lewis Howes just because he's just, he's done so many and he's covered so many topics that there's always just he's something. He's a known quantity. To, yeah. Yeah. There's just something to find. And again, if your eyes and your heart are open, you're going to find something. 100%. If people want to know more about Vasami training, remind us what your website is. And before we go, I want you to talk to me about your 12-week strength program for hitters because Colin would be annoyed at me if I don't get that information out there as well. <laughs> so you can find me at vasamitraining.com. 
you know, I'll be honest, up until last year, my website was always pretty sad just because I never had a use for it. <laughs> and I found somebody who was super good at websites. And she also took the pictures that are on there and just really opened my eyes to. Yeah, I was going to say it looks snazzy. It looks pretty good. Yeah, she did a great job. So BasamiTraining.com yeah. is where you can find my website, find my store. You can get in touch with me there. You can find me on Instagram at Chris Vasami. A lot of the things that I put up there are just kind of what I do on a daily basis, whether it be a workout or a hitting type workout, mm -hmm. or even just things that just pop in my head and I'll just throw them up there. My 12-week strength program is for hitters. And there are so many programs out there that are specifically for pitchers, getting stronger, gaining velocity, becoming a more powerful pitcher. And so I felt the need to be able to match them. Mm. And there's a lot of hitters who are always contacting me saying, how do I get stronger? So I put together this 12-week program. Oh, so you're saying there, there's been a scarcity of like hitter programs? Yeah, there are. There's a lot of programs that are out there that are just more bat speed based, where my program is more, you're going to become a better, stronger, functional athlete. And then the skill of hitting is what's going to benefit from that. And so it's 12 weeks, six days a week. You can buy it on my website. It's $199. And I really wanted anybody who wanted to get better to feel like they could get better. So I didn't want to price anybody out. And if you do get the program, you automatically get to work with me. So wherever you are through virtual these days, things are just a lot easier. So we can tailor the program to you. We can make adjustments, modifications, whatever you need. But if you are a hitter, baseball or softball player who is looking to get stronger while also becoming a better athlete, this is a great program for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's do like a discount code. So if you listen to this podcast and you put in a discount code, will you give people like 10% off? Sure. Definitely. <laughs> you had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do the bucket list careers. Well, thank you very much. That would be good. Yeah. We'll do bucket list careers as the discount code and we're good to go. Thank you. That's very kind. I'm so glad we did this. This was very informative, actually, and also really great to see you and talk to you. So thanks for taking the time, Chris. No, I'm honored. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. Take care. I just want to say thanks for being a listener here on Bucket List Careers. I'm Krista Laurie, and I'm grateful you're joining me on this awesome podcasting journey. I'm loving it so far. But let's do it together. DM me with feedback or a great guest idea. What do you want to hear more of? I'm at Crystal Laurie on Twitter and LinkedIn, at Bucketless Careers on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.